So we're following this progress of the early church in the book of Acts. And we're just kind of going story by story, which works really well when the stories are conveniently about 10 to 15 verses, because then we can read them and we all know what's going on, and then dive into the text. And then sometimes we get to this story like this, the arrest of, of Stephen, which is a chapter and a half. And I could read that all um, at the risk of completely losing your attention. Um, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the end of the sixth chapter of Acts, which describes Steve, how Stephen comes to be arrested. And then I'm going to skip most of chapter 7. Chapter 7, so Stephen is, if we remember from last week, the widows, the Greek Jews, the widows were not being served. They weren't being included in the daily distribution of food. And so seven men were chosen to solve this problem. And Stephen was one of those men. He's described as full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And so he's set aside to, to tackle this problem. How do we make sure that all of the widows are included in the daily distribution of food? And so we pick up there. I'm going to read Acts 6, 8 through the end of the chapter, through verse 15. Uh, but let's, let's pray first. Holy, awesome, gracious, all-powerful, and yet somehow so intimate God. On this day that you have made and called good, may we be open to the powerful work of your Holy Spirit among and within us. May you crack us open that your word may infuse us to our very cores. That you may give us new hearts with your law written upon them. And that we may live by the beating of that heart. Guide us in spirit and in truth. To live rooted in your word and branching out to touch the lives of those around us. That the selfless love of Jesus Christ may be our guide and our mentor. And that we may cling to the hem of your robe. Struck with gratitude at your mercy. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 6 verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then, some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. 
Then they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stops saying things against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these things so? Stephen's reply takes up Acts chapter 7. And Stephen's reply, he begins uh, with, with Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish faith. And he begins to work his way through Jewish history. And what he's doing is he's talking about Jewish history and tradition and he's rooting Christianity in that tradition. And he's saying what God has done in Jesus Christ is not something new, but a continuation of what God has always done. And towards the end of his speech, he gets a little confrontational. In Acts 7.51, he says, You stiff-necked people. Which is never a good thing to say to a bunch of people who are already mad at you. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, yet you have not kept it. Not surprisingly, in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together with him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. So Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen is doing all these wondrous signs and deeds. People get angry with Stephen, make up a false case against him. When Stephen begins to tell them the truth about what he's doing and what God is doing, they get so angry that they kill him. So this is the bulk of our story. 
So I want you to think about this past week. How many of you had a good day within the past week? And if you did, stop and think about why, what made it a good day? Similarly, think back this week if you had a bad day. And think about what was it about that day that made it bad. Right? We have all sorts of days. We have good days. We have bad days. But the reason, the thing that joins them together is usually the quality of that day is determined by what's going on with us. Right? What's happening in our lives. I mean, how many of you had a good day because the U.S. ice dancing team won a gold medal? Right? I mean, you know, it's a great thing if you're into ice dancing, which I'm not. But, you know, it doesn't really affect our day. Or how many of us had a bad day because, you know, there were riots going on in the Ukraine last week? You know, it's, it's, it's a bad thing, but it doesn't necessarily directly affect us. And so we put that in a different category. And what happens is we, we are shaped by these things that directly affect us. And over time, all of us, we get a little self-centered, right? That, that the world kind of revolves around us. It gets very small. And advertisers, corporate America plays on this. They love this. And because what they do then is they try to reinforce the idea that life ultimately is all about my happiness and my needs being met. And restaurants that will say, this is what you want, whatever it is, this is all about you. And we're catering to this religion of you. And we become very self-centered. The world gets very small. And so, it's not that, that you know, we need to feel terrible for thinking about ourselves. But what we need to do is be aware that there is so much going on that our lives are so much bigger than ourselves and particularly the church. Because it's easy to forget about the larger world. It's easy to forget about the fact that the church is really this two billion member organization that is made up of people in Africa, in South America, in Asia, in Europe. And, and here in America, and it, and it looks totally different, but it's one organization. It's the church. And the church will stand forever, right? God has promised that. He has said that, that there is nothing. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will stand forever. And so when we remember this, that we're part of the bigger body of Christ, we celebrate on this grand scale. And you're part of an organization that has two billion members. How cool is that? But everybody's not so excited about this. And what I want to do is if, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation 12. This is not something that happens very often. I know we don't turn to Revelation very often. But I think it's really important to put the, what happens to Stephen in context and to help us understand our life together. And it's the story of, of the, uh, the woman and the dragon. And it's a bizarre story. But it's really important. So what happens is there's this woman, this is the first... Uh, 
it's the first six verses and then verses 13 to 17. And so in the first six verses, this woman gives birth to a child. And there's this dragon is ready to devour the child. And verse 5 says she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This child symbolizes Christ. So in this, this picture, this, this woman is giving birth to, to Christ. But what happens is the dragon is ready to devour the child. The dragon symbolizes Satan. And so he's ready to devour this child and to destroy Christ. But what happens is that, and at the end of verse 5 it says, Her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. So the child is taken away in safety. And the woman flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. And so the woman runs away. And what happens is in the symbolism, this woman comes to symbolize the church. And so the church has kind of fled into the wilderness for safety from Satan. And then, um, so verse 7 to 12 is kind of how, how the dragon tries to make war, tries to attack heaven tries to make war on God, that's never really a good idea. And the dragon can't do this, and so the dragon can't attack God, so the dragon comes to attack the church. And in verse 15 it says, From his mouth the serpent poured water like a river after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But this doesn't work. So the dragon can't attack God, and it can't destroy the church. So what happens? Verse 17, the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So what we learn in this is so the dragon, Satan can't defeat God and he can't defeat the church, so what happens? He takes out his anger on the members of the church, the individual members of the church. So, you know, God is too strong. The church will stand forever, but the people I can attack. Individually, one by one, I'll go after them. I'll take out my anger on individuals. And so what Satan tries to do is isolate people one by one to get them away from the strength of, of the organization to attack them. It's like a horror movie. Have any of you all ever seen a scary movie of any kind? Think about what happens. It's a group of ten, five to ten people. And it's always dark. And they're always in some really kind of scary, creepy place. And then, so there's, there's some attacker waiting for them. And they're all together and they're scared. And then one of, one of them inexplicably says, well, I'm going to go out to that old rickety, haunted-looking shed, and I'm going to go alone. And everybody knows what's going to happen and the music starts in the background and they go out by themselves and sure enough, they get attacked. And it happens one by one. They pick off people individually because when people are together, they're safe and they're strong. But when they become isolated, we make easier targets. This is exactly what Revelation 12 means. 
Satan is angry with the church, but the church will stand forever. So he makes war on the individuals that comprise the church. The people who keep the commandments of God. And so we turn then to the story of Stephen. What does it mean? Stephen, think about what he's doing. Stephen is serving widows food. Not exactly highly objectionable, right? He's filled, verse 8 tells us, he's he's filled with grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. But the people are angry about the Christian church. They're angry with the followers of Jesus. And Stephen makes an easy target. The leaders of the day don't like the message, but they know they can't defeat the message, so they go after the messenger. And Stephen just happens to be the person who is available when their anger boils over. When they need a victim, when they need a target, Stephen is the nearest one. And so they bring him into trial. They make up all these false cases against him. And then what happens in chapter 7 is Stephen begins to tell them that the Christian church, the followers of Jesus, are anchored in the Jewish tradition. He begins to unfold them that Jesus is exactly who they've been waiting for. That this is the good news that they need to hear. But they refuse to see it. I think the most telling verse is in verse 57 of of chapter 7. They covered their ears. They didn't want to hear the truth. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say to them. They had no interest in hearing the gospel message. And it made them so angry they attacked the messenger. And so what I want to say today is that we need to put our lives in the bigger context of this. The things that are going on in our lives are often symptoms of something that is so much bigger than us, but of which we have a part to play. There is evil alive and well in the world, and it attacks us. When you think about sickness, about physical problems we have, about disease, about decay, and and the struggles we have as we go along, that our bodies break down. That is the power of sin that is broken into creation and it is attacking us. It attacks us physically. It attacks us relationally. I bet everybody here has conflict with somebody else in their lives. Right? There are people around us with whom we do not have peaceful relationships. The conflict that exists between individuals, between groups of people, between countries... This is the breakdown. This is, this is the, the devil trying to tear us apart. Trying to sow seeds of conflict in our lives. The emotional problems, the stress and anxiety, the worries we have. It is, it is the devil whispering lies to us. And what happens is we begin to believe those lies. We begin to believe the lies that the devil tells us and it affects us, it affects our relationships, it affects how we live. We see all the chaos around around us and we buy the hope of despair. 
We buy the lie of hopelessness and we begin to believe that we can't change the world and that our small actions don't matter. We begin to buy the lie that maybe God doesn't love us, that maybe God doesn't accept us just as we are, or that maybe God doesn't love this person or that person. The devil is making war on the members of the church. He's trying to isolate us, to, to keep us away from one another because he knows that the church, when it stands together, is far too strong. And so he goes after us. And so the things that are happening in our lives, it's not because we're bad people. It's not because that we're not any good. But it's that we're under attack. And so how do we fend that off? How do, we, how do we cling to God? How do we live a life of faithfulness and integrity and love God and love one another? Well, first and foremost, we stand together. We remember that when we're together, we are stronger. That it's when we're isolated that we begin to be weak. So we lean into each other. We depend on each other. But also, we recognize that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We are a part of a huge movement that will stand for all of eternity. We are part of this. God has welcomed us in. And what God wants to do is remind us that we will not fall victim. He will not forget about us. He will not lose us or overlook us. Look at Stephen at the very end of his life, as his enemies are gathered around him, stoning him to death, God is there consoling him. In verse 55, Stephen gazes into heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God gives him this as a reminder to Stephen that in the midst of all of this evil, there is more to life than just this really bad day. That Stephen will live forever. God is reminding Stephen that Stephen is a part of something bigger than himself. He's part of something bigger than what he can see. He's part of something bigger than just this life. He's part of an eternal organization that will stand forever. We need to remember that. You will live forever. And God wants to remind you by the power of the Holy Spirit that the things that try to make us despair, the things that try to make us lose hope, are trying to take our vision away from our eternal God and His reign and grace and glory. And so may we let God console us and remind us that we will live forever. And may we live then with hope. May we live with courage. May we courageously dedicate ourselves to the selfless love of God, trusting in eternity. Trusting in a God who is too strong to be defeated. Trusting in a church that is too strong to be defeated. We cling to hope and we fend off despair. Because we are part of God's eternal kingdom. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, remind us once more that your church will stand forever. 
Remind us that we are a part of your church, that you have created us in the image of God, and that you have chosen us to be a part of your church and to live forever. May the power of that reality transform the way we live. May the power of your love shape us. That we may not conform to the religion of self, but that we may reach out and cling to you. That we may reach out to our neighbors, to those who are isolated, and we may help you as you gather them in to the body of Christ. May we serve one another. May we love one another. And when Satan attacks, may we remember that he cannot destroy us. Because nothing shall separate us from your love. And you are far stronger than those who oppose you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, wearing fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sounds awesome, right? Powerful, majestic. That is the God who has formed you in his image. That is the God who has claimed you in the waters of baptism. That is the God who will pursue you to the ends of the earth and beyond. That is the God who has promised to not let any of God's precious sheep escape this sight. That is the God who has promised that nothing shall separate you from His love. So when challenges arise, remember, remember that this life, our eternal life is bigger than what we can see and that God is bigger than our challenges. And that the love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with us always and shall strengthen us every day of our life and for all of eternity. And so with the confidence